everybody. It is Friday, April 12th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, we've missed a lot of time, a lot of episodes to talk about different things that are going on. So uh, with all that in mind, this is going to kind of be a little bit more of a loosey-goosey episode because uh, there is a lot of interesting stuff to talk about uh, as we head on into the month of April. Um, we've got a lot of news surrounding Tesla, some things with the Model 3, productions of batteries, sales figures, so much to kind of break down to talk about there. Uh, GM made a huge announcement yesterday about the next generation Chevy Corvette uh, that is definitely worth talking about a little bit more. Uh, Kia and Hyundai continue to be on a roll when it comes to new cars, concepts, prototypes, so much more. Kia's got a new crossover concept that they're debuting at the New York Auto Show that I think is worth touching on, uh, as well as some more uh, leaked images about the new Hyundai venue that I think is going to be at least a little interesting, to say the least. Uh, the New York Auto Show is coming up, what is it, uh, next week? My time frame on this has been all over the board. I think it's the 17th is when it starts. Even Acura had a pretty cool thing that they were talking about uh, earlier this week in regard to New York that's uh, worth touching on at least for a moment, um, as well as, uh, well, some other things. Uh, just before we kind of dive into the main part of the show, I have to say that my day has been blessed today. Earlier this week, my week has been blessed, and it's been a random occurrence here in my neighborhood over the past couple of days to see tiny men, and when I say tiny men, I mean men that are shorter than average. Uh, if the average here in the United States is 5'11", these guys are maybe 5'5 and under, uh, just these you know, just smaller guys, it happens, it's a thing, uh, and they're climbing into these giant oversized pickup trucks, and it is like... <laughs> I like, hey, like, I understand that, you know, you might need a big truck for your job, or you might need a big truck for, you know, some stuff that you got to do in your daily routine. Maybe you like going camping. I don't know. I, I don't know what you do. But these tiny little men just come running out of these buildings uh, near my apartment, and they, like, climb into these trucks, and it has been the funniest thing to watch in my daily life these past couple of days, and I was blessed Today, with the image of a tiny man in a oversized cowboy hat climbing into his GMC Sierra. It was just the best thing. So I am on cloud nine, if you can't tell right now. Uh, but anyway, guys, after the bump, we'll talk about a ton of different news things. Uh, and we'll kind of, we'll kick things off with Tesla. So see you back in just a second. So kicking things off with some Tesla news, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on when it comes to the Tesla brand in the past week. Uh, admittedly, you know, I like to talk about Tesla just because they are, you know, there's news. I guess that's maybe the best thing to say is that there's always something going on and it's decent to highlight it. Uh, and that's also because there is a lot of focus on this brand, um, whether that's good or bad, eh, not really my decision to make. But uh to kind of kick things off, at least where things were last week, uh, Tesla finished up the quarter, uh, the first quarter of 2019, with some interesting sales results. And market people got all upset about cars being ordered and not delivered, and sales being up and down of many other things, and kind of stepping away from the core thing 
which is that Tesla is selling a lot of Model 3s. They are delivering quite a few of them. They're still selling a decent number of Model S's and Model X's, uh, but the headlines, of course, were being pulled that the S and the X are way, way down, and the Model 3 is just doing okay. Tesla kind of beat some of these stories back by saying that uh, they had so many orders that they weren't able to fulfill them, uh, which still kind of speaks to the delivery method not being super great for the company. And, you know, that's going to be growing pains with a small company like Tesla. You know, they don't have the uh, huge capacity that GM, Ford, and many others have. And it shouldn't come as a huge surprise, I guess, that some of these things are going to happen. Uh, nevertheless, you know, I also don't feel like we should necessarily be surprised that sales for the S and the X are down, especially when the Model 3 is out, particularly when there are a lot of people who probably had purchased S's or X's in the past that were looking for a Model 3, that are hoping for to get a Model Y in the not-too-distant future. So I don't think this is completely out of the ordinary, I guess. Tesla's still making money. They're doing pretty all right, all things considered. Um, but, uh... You know, things are going to be up and they're going to be down and they're going to be sideways. The other interesting news to kind of tie into that has been that Tesla did lose the majority of their federal uh, tax credits when it comes to purchasing an electric vehicle here in the United States. Uh, first 200,000 vehicles you sell, you get, uh, what is it? You get uh, a $7,500 tax credit, depending on the size of the battery. And then that number shrinks progressively over the next six months after that ends. So between January 1st and June 1st, uh, you still are applicable to get some tax credits, but that number is dwindling rather quickly. So some people are thinking that these down sales are because the tax incentives aren't there. I don't 100% know if that's true. Tesla has been adjusting their car prices to try to play ball with where those expectations are. And again, you know, I have to say that even without the tax incentives at 40-ish thousand dollars for a Model 3, you're still getting an exceptionally good car. You're not having to pay for gasoline. Uh, electricity is a fraction of the price of gasoline. There's so many less stops at doing oil changes and so many other things, you know, you're going to come out better in the end, even if you end up paying a little bit more to begin with, especially when you also consider that the resale value in Teslas are so good to begin with that your value, the money that you're putting in there, that value that you're getting out of the car is going to be maintained much longer. So give and take, there's a bunch of other things going on. Now, speaking of that tax credit, while we're on it for a moment, uh, a, bar a bipartisan group of representatives both in the United States Senate and in the House of Representatives have introduced bills to extend the EV tax credits for uh, these automakers uh, from 200,000 vehicles a year, or excuse me, 200,000 EV vehicles to 400,000 EV vehicles that get that full $7,500 tax credit. And then it would have a little bit of a slower wind-down period uh, on what uh, would be left after that point, hoping to continue to drive innovation, purchases, so much more of these cars for a lot of people. Uh, I think that is really great. I think there, since there is bipartisan support for this, uh, we could see some traction. Whether or not the president would sign this bill uh, if it were to be passed by both chambers of the House, uh, 
I guess I'm not entirely getting my hopes up. Uh, I'm not even entirely sure if it would even pass the Senate at this point. Uh, but within the House, I'm sure that it will get passed. So I'm eager to see what ends up happening there because that will ultimately help Tesla uh, with some sales. That will help Audi. It will help Porsche and so many other brands. And that's what we need right now. Back to the main Tesla stories, uh, Tesla uh, announced, I don't know if it was Tesla or Panasonic, one of the two. Anyway, the partnership between Panasonic and Tesla is coming to an end on their Gigafactory investments. Uh, Panasonic is citing that decreased interest in electric vehicles uh, mean that they don't want to spend as much money uh, on these production plants on these platforms, so on and so forth. Uh, kind of hard to know what exactly this is going to mean going forward. Uh, not having that extra money there seems, I don't know, not good. But at the same time, I'm not entirely sure what Panasonic was getting out of the deal in the first place. Uh, that's been kind of foggy to say the least. Uh, I'm definitely curious to know if this is a temporary thing or if Panasonic is continuing continuing to invest in their own battery brand or if they're being courted by other manufacturers uh, to use their battery technology in something else. It's, again, not entirely clear what this deal was in the first place and how it's been working, so we'll see. It is kind of interesting to consider that uh, Panasonic is ending this investment in the Gigafactory plants uh, right when Tesla is like two third, a third of the way, almost halfway done with the Gigafactory uh, construction in Shanghai. Uh, that is going to be a huge operation that's going to really drive Tesla sales in China. And it's going to be really crucial for them to become more profitable and to have these cars assembled there and shipped, you know, all across Asia and Europe and uh, still maintaining their production facilities here in the United States as well, both in uh, Fremont and in Las Vegas. So, you know, there's some interesting things there. Now, speaking of Tesla and partnerships, I've got a lot of Tesla stories this week. Uh, Tesla announced that they are selling uh, green energy tax credits. I, it's again, kind of a little bit of a mystery because it's not United States here that it's necessarily concerning. Uh, basically, Tesla is partnering with Fiat Chrysler Automotive uh, in the European Union in order for Fiat Chrysler to not be taxed heavily or penalized heavily uh, for the number of cars that they produce that do not meet uh, fuel economy and emission standards uh, in the EU. Uh, this, of course, is very interesting because, you know, Tesla has been looking for partners for some things and Fiat Chrysler has been looking for partners in other things. And while this doesn't necessarily indicate that Tesla and Fiat Chrysler are going to be building anything together, uh, it does kind of highlight the weird way that the rules work in the EU, where Chrysler can basically pay Tesla all of this money to have their fleet uh, emissions and fuel economy regulations included with Tesla's in order to balance their sheets out. Um, so kind of think of it like the uh, here in the United States, we have the uh, EPA regulations where cars have to hit a fleet uh, minimum uh what do you call it? A fleet minimum uh, miles per gallon standard. I think it's like 34.7 miles per gallon right now or something like that. Uh, that might jump up to 37 here in the next couple of years. Um, originally, the Obama administration had enacted laws to push that up to as high as 52 by midway through the next decade. And the Trump administration, of course, rolled that back. Uh, mm, yeah. Anyway, the EU thing is kind of similar to that. Uh, so, it's a way for these companies to basically buy shares of uh, this stuff when they 
would quote unquote be in trouble. Um, now this is kind of interesting because of course I do often criticize Fiat Chrysler for not having enough uh, EV and hybrid technologies in their vehicles in order to bring those emissions and miles per gallon uh, standards, uh, well at least miles per gallon up, emissions levels down, and uh, hopefully this will kind of spur some innovation within the company. You know I talked a while back about how they've got some uh, hybridized uh, Jeeps in the pipeline. More than likely this powertrain that's in there will be adapted to many other vehicles within their lineup, whether it's, you know, Alfa Romeo, whether it's uh, Ferrari, maybe, uh, but definitely, you know, Chrysler and Jeep, they're for sure going to be sharing this platform and this powertrain probably in the not too distant future. So uh, it definitely also speaks to if maybe to extend this to one more reaching conclusion is that uh, because Fiat Chrysler sells so many Jeeps, so many Rams, so many large format vehicles, not just in the United States, but all around the world, uh, it's going to have a major drag on your fuel economy and emissions things. And, you know, again, as the company continues to hedge all of its bets on Jeep and Ram uh, to remain profitable and they let brands like Lancia and Fiat die, it's no wonder that this is the outcome, I guess. So, you know, hey, at the very least, Tesla's got a big influx of cash coming in. It's really going to help them continue to do uh, research and development on a lot of things. It's going to help them continue to grow as a company. So that's a good thing, uh, even if it is a bit of a shame on you to FCA. Now, the last bit of news and the most recent news uh, came uh, this morning. I woke up to a news alert on my cell phone saying that Tesla has canceled uh, orders online for the $35,000 base trim Tesla Model 3, uh, citing that the standard plus, whatever you want to call it, uh, version of the vehicle was outselling the base trim model uh, pretty extensively. Now, they're not saying that you won't be able to order a base trim $35,000 Tesla Model 3. Instead, that base trim car would only be able to be purchased from a Tesla dealer or by you getting on the telephone or telephone to contact a Tesla representative. They won't be available for you to order online anymore. Uh, this, of course, is pretty interesting because there have been a lot of accusations out there right now that Tesla hasn't even built a base trim Model 3 yet. Um, the argument has been that because the profit margin would be so tiny on this car uh, that it would really impact their profit margins and so many other things. And so they were waiting as long as they could to get into quarter two of 2019 to uh, start as even assembling a handful here and there. Um, I don't even think any car websites or anything like that have even seen the base trim Model 3. Uh, I'd be curious just to know what that cloth interior looked and felt like. Uh, it's it's weird, I guess, to say the least. Uh, it's also kind of interesting to think about how, uh, you know, TFL Now, TFL Truck, TFL Car, whichever one it was, uh, they ordered a base trim Model 3 and they ended up getting talked into buying a... Uh, what is it, a mid-range Tesla Model 3, uh, and it ended up being like a couple hundred dollars less than buying a base trim one, just because it was a year older and had like 25 miles on it. Really strange scenario how that all ended up working out. Uh, but Tesla's saying this new thing is going to, you know, help them increase their profits. It's going to help them use that mid-range battery that will be locked out to a slower range. Um, it's going to reduce costs for them to assemble these cars. And in the end, you know, I guess I'm kind of going, eh, 
you know, whatever. Because, you know, every time I've even gone on the Tesla website uh, to build a car, I've definitely looked at the the performance or not performance plus the uh, premium plus model as a kind of a standard upgrade just because of the niceties that come with it. The other big news is that Tesla is making autopilot standard on all Model 3s going forward. Uh, so that will be an automatic upgrade uh, that's going to be in there for, if my memory serves, it's $3,000. So, you know, that basically means the base trim Model 3, if you're ordering from online, is pretty much guaranteed to be about $40,000. And again, like I said before, at $40,000, I still think it is a relative steal uh, compared to a lot of other uh, even gasoline engine cars out there in the market today. Anyway, that just about wraps up all of the Tesla news. There's so much stuff going on with them. Uh, it's been really exciting to kind of see uh, what's been happening for the good and for the bad. Uh, but after a short little bump, we'll talk about some other big news coming out of the Detroit and South Korean automakers. <laughs> So on to the news, arguably the thing I'm most excited about this week is that Chevrolet has finally, finally, finally confirmed that the C8 Corvette is going to be debuting very, very soon, and that, of course, the new Chevrolet Corvette C8 will be a mid-engined, rear-wheel drive uh, performance sports car that is going to change, drastically change, uh, the way in which uh, we see the Corvette going forward. Uh, people who have been a part of the Corvette faithful, uh, I consider myself part of that uh, really for all of my life. Uh, we've known that GM has been experimenting with the idea of a mid-engine rear-wheel drive Corvette for the better part of 50 years. Uh, even back into the late 60s and early 70s, it was an idea being batted around. There were plenty of concept cars uh, in the mid-late 70s on into the 80s. Uh, some of those cars included uh, rotary-powered, twin, uh, or twin-rotor-powered uh, models. There were twin-turbo V8 racing ones. Uh, there was so much work being done then, and it's taken that much time till now for it to become a final thing. So on July 18th, uh, Chevrolet is going to be showing the Corvette off. Now, it is surprising to me, uh, at least to some extent, that Chevrolet's not doing it uh, at a big motor show. It is also surprising to me that Chevrolet is not doing this at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, they're not even doing it at uh, any other major sporting event that would be a couple of weeks before that. Uh, this would be, arguably, I would say, a little bit late uh, for some of the big motorsports events to get some coverage on this vehicle. Now, that being said, I'm sure Chevrolet, now acknowledging at it as a thing, will probably roll it out at some kind of event. But uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's pretty exciting to know that there's a new Corvette coming, especially with all the photos, all of the leaks, so much more about this car in the past couple of years that uh, it feels good to know something new is coming. Uh, just kind of reflecting on the C7 a moment before we talk about some of the C8 details. Uh, I, You know, I've had some thoughts about the C7 Corvette as of late. Uh, it's, it's no surprise that, in general, I like the car. I mean, again, I've always been a Corvette guy. I will always be a Corvette guy. It is the car that has been on my wall for my entire life, as it were. And the C7 has really soured for me over the past 
couple of years, I think not because it isn't a good car, not because it doesn't look nice, but because there's just this, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, I don't know, I really don't know what it is, uh, that has really turned me off on it. It's It's been something where the car just looks cheap. It doesn't look nice anymore. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like it's as good as what it once was when it first came out, which is weird because the C6, its predecessor, I feel like has really come up in my standards quite a bit over the past few years. I was not a particularly huge fan of the C6 for some time, and even though I know that a lot of my criticisms of the C7 looking cheap, feeling cheap, all that kind of stuff is definitely much, 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 much worse on the C6. Uh, the C6 just seems to just exist in this void that it was an even bigger FU to the global standard at the time. And, uh, you know, you could still buy one for $45,000 and get a world-class performance sports car that it just... Uh, it, I don't know. It just that one just sticks with me, and you know, I already know I'm on the bad side of Corvette fandom when I love the C4. So hey, what do I know? I'm not the best person to guide this. Nevertheless, the C8, you know, beyond uh, adding that mid-engine rear-wheel drive layout, uh, it's gonna have some pretty interesting visual changes that look like it's going to carry over some of the things that we've seen from the current C7 cars uh, on into the C8 uh, and really have a more Ferrari-like shape overall. Um, I don't think that's a huge surprise given the number of other cars that carry a mid-engine rear-wheel drive layout that also look like Pininfarina-styled Ferraris. So if anything, that is a compliment uh, overall. The engine displacements in this car aren't 100% known. Uh, Cadillac has confirmed that the Blackwing Twin Turbo V8 will not be available in this Corvette, so this will be using some kind of proprietary uh, engine size, uh, performance, output, things like that. I think the interesting question here is going to be whether or not this Corvette has a pushrod V8 as standard or if GM is going to be adopting a new dual overhead cam setup uh, that seems to be the more likely performance variant going forward. Just the same, will the base engine be naturally aspirated or will it be turbocharged all the way across the board. And I think we even do have to ask to some extent whether or not GM would ever install a twin turbo V6 in a Corvette. Uh, Corvettes, of course, started with straight sixes back in 1953. They eventually went to V8s uh, by the later part of the 1950s. And uh, since then, you know, Corvettes have always had V8s as the standard option and sizes uh, going from down to about five liters on up to, you know, seven or more. Uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens. My personal hope right now is that GM adopts a five and a half liter uh, dual overhead cam V8 as their standard. That way it would match the engines that would more than likely be used in the C8R race cars that are going to be competing in IMSA and so many other racing platforms. And it just really ties the motorsport aspect of the car uh, together. Uh, 
I also think having some kind of twin turbo V8 is going to be a necessary evil to some extent. Uh, I would like to see them step away from supercharging. There's just been so many issues with the LT, what is it, the LT4 uh, V8, specifically in regard to heat soak and many other problems that supercharging really seems like it's kind of reached its peak potential with the car and they just need to... They need to get away from it. So turbocharging, I think, is ultimately going to be the outcome. I also am really interested to know if GM's going to end up doing some kind of hybrid option on this Corvette. Uh, as those MPG standards continue to rise, as the technology for hybrids continues to get uh, more performance-oriented, as GM continues to try to adapt its green technology into this car, I think there's definitely an opportunity for GM to make some kind of hybrid performance variant of the Corvette. And I think it would also be really interesting to see GM do some kind of base trim hybrid performance option. Uh, what do I mean by that? So I guess what I'm kind of thinking, and we're part spinning it here uh, in a weird way uh, to kind of conceptualize it, is I'm really kind of imagining GM adapting a uh, hybrid pickup truck platform type thing. So think of their old two-mode system that used to be in the uh, Escalade, the Yukon, uh, the Tahoe, and so on. Something along those lines, where it's a V8 rear-wheel drive mainline thing, but it would be able to use some kind of hybrid power uh, to give the engine a little bit of a boost and also be able to drive the vehicle in some light electric power uh, over short distances, uh, you know, when things get going. I think a plug-in variation of that system would be more than likely for the Corvette. Uh, kind of think what they've got for the uh, NSX right now, where the NSX has uh, the ability to drive on electric power uh, and kind of get things moving slowly. I think they call it like neighbor mode or something like that. Uh, so to do that with the Corvette, I think would be good. It would help fuel economy. It would help uh, increase the green profile of GM, uh, but it wouldn't take away from the overall performance of the vehicle. And in theory, it would give GM the ability to give the Corvette quote-unquote all-wheel drive uh, to increase some overall grip and performance out on the track. Again, these are all hypotheticals. We don't really know. GM's been pretty mum on that situation. Um, but the safe bet is mid-engine rear-wheel drive layout, pushrod V8 in the back, $60,000 price tag, uh, on sale apparently by the end of the year, GM is saying. So... Pretty exciting for Corvette fans, uh, so I, I, I'm definitely interested to see what ends up coming of this car. Now, another thing that's very interesting that's coming up very soon is the New York Auto Show. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's April 17th is the date uh, that things start happening over in New York. Uh, again, I apologize for not having that date locked down. It seems like it's been a moving target. Uh, this has been a week or two where brands continue to show off new cars that they're going to be debuting at the New York Auto Show way, 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 way ahead of the actual thing, and it's kind of annoying. Um, we did talk about the Ford Escape last week, which, you know, a week out, I'm feeling much better about than I did at the time. Uh, definitely curious to see, again, how they end up making this kind of be the focus replacement here in the U.S. Uh, going forward. Uh, Hyundai still has been kind of mum on what's going on with the venue, although some sketches were leaked of the vehicle. And it does have a pretty 
upright overall shape. Uh, they had initially described it as being very square compared to some of their other crossovers uh, out in the market right now. And, you know, it does adapt that Hyundai Santa Fe, uh, Hyundai Palisade look overall. I think, at least based on the sketch, I'm really curious to see how this thing turns out. And if they can price this thing right, I'm definitely interested to see how quick they can get this thing to market because being a urban-styled, urban-targeted, small crossover really makes a lot of sense these days uh, when it comes to this market for crossovers and SUVs. Kia, on the other hand, has a new concept that just got unveiled kind of, sort of, today. Uh, it is the Habanero concept. Uh, think habanero like the spicy chili, uh, but with Nero, N-I-R-O, at the end like their current uh, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and EV uh, vehicle that is on sale here in the U.S. Uh, the habanero uh, looks to be a slightly tougher, slightly more edgy, futuristic version of the Nero. Uh, I'm definitely Interested to see at least size comparisons between it and the Nero after the fact. Uh, Kia definitely seems to be jumping into this... Uh, I don't know what I want to call it. I uh, For some reason, it reminds me of a vacuum styling and shape. It's still got the, uh, the tiger nose on the front, but it's got this weird kind of prolonged... Uh, uh, cylinder? I, I don't really know how to pronounce the or d describe the overall shape of these things. They're very round, but also kind of pentagon-y and stretched out. It, it's very strange. They remind me, you know what they remind me of? It's the, uh, the, the little ride thing that you quote-unquote go in uh, for Star Tours when you go on that ride at uh, Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, it looks like those for whatever reason. And this thing, you know, it looks pretty cool. It's got some a little bit more rugged appearance with some more off-roady tires. It's got some uh, a coupe-like styling element to it. Definitely a little more off-road performance-oriented Nero. Um, more details to come. You know, I'm definitely guessing that Kia is going to be saying that this thing is an EV uh, to some extent, some kind of performance EV. But uh, definitely been really pleased, I guess is the words to use, with what Hyundai and Kia have been cooking up when it comes to concepts, prototypes, and so much more. So really excited to see what ends up coming out for New York. Uh, one other thing to touch on for New York that also got announced uh, earlier this week is that Acura is going to be doing these hand-built uh, versions of the TLX sedan uh, that are going to be built on the same line as the NSX down in Marysville, Ohio. Uh, these cars have a acronym, I think it's PDX uh, trim, performance something, whatever. I, I can't remember what the thing is off the top of my head right now. Uh, but really, they're just going to only make like 360 of these in 2019. They're going to come in a special red color. They're going to have a bunch of special trim. No real indication whether or not they're going to be having this performance increase really at all but given the overall quality of that platform the high-tech all-wheel drive system that's in it uh hopefully maybe possibly Acura turns up the knob just a little bit but really the big thing I think that they're trying to push with this vehicle is that it is being hand assembled, uh, that it is going to have some slightly more upscale uh, pieces put on it. It's going to be an incredibly exclusive vehicle for us here in the United States. Uh, really, I have to say that color, that red color, is just 
beautiful. And with the black accents offsetting it, it looks incredible. So I'm really interested to see uh, what that also looks like coming into New York beyond the uh, press images that were uh, sent out earlier this week. Uh, I'm definitely also interested to hear how much of a premium this is going to cost compared to the regular model. I can't remember if they actually specified that outside of uh, you know some of the other loose details on the vehicle. As far as other announcements go in New York, well, there's not a whole lot that has really been said quite yet. We're still a few more days out, uh, so as things come, we'll let you know. Anyway, guys, that's been the news for this past week or so. Uh, so after the break, we'll talk about some other car-related things. So kind of as a last thing, kind of touching on a new subject, uh, I wanted to talk a bit about the idea of China investing in major automotive brands and what fruits come out of that. Uh, there has been a lot of talk for a long time about what company is going to be the first Chinese company to sell a car in the U.S. And once again, we have another entry into that segment, and it is another spinoff of the Geely brand. Uh, Geely is this huge automotive entity in China that had a, originally a more complicated name and they've kind of narrowed it down to this. Uh, but the main thing with Geely was that for a long time they had been producing cars for other automakers in China and eventually they wanted to start making their own stuff. Uh, to kind of get things rolling in that regard, they ended up purchasing Volvo from Ford uh, after those two brands had split up uh, in the mid-late aughts. And a lot of people thought that that would be the end of Volvo as we know it. Uh, Volvo, of course, had been a technology leader when it comes to safety uh, and many other things. And this new version of Volvo was deemed to be ugh, a dead-end product, uh, sopped up by China uh, and basically ready to be thrown away at any given point. What ended up happening, of course, is that Geely pumped hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars into the brand, telling Volvo and their engineers, do what you need to do to make a good car, a good SUV, a good whatever, and we at Geely will end up reaping the benefits by sharing that platform, sharing those engine technologies, sharing what other interesting things that they could come up with to build a good car. And in that sense, it had rejuvenized Volvo into a way where they went from a Acura, maybe a high-end Volkswagen competitor, up to a fully-fledged Porsche, Audi, Mercedes-Benz competitor again. Uh, it had been quite some time for that to be the case, and you know it's really evident with the XC90, uh, the S80, uh, or excuse me, the S90, the you know the new V70. So many of these other vehicles, they're top-notch quality pieces of engineering and design because they have that Geely money and then in return Geely is able to use the technology the design elements from these vehicles uh, to influence their own products in their home market of China. Volvo of course became so good or such a great uh, exercise that uh, Geely decided to partner with Volvo to create a new brand to sell vehicles uh, in the Southeast Asian market and eventually in Europe called Lincoln Co. Lincoln Co. was going to be a blend of Chinese demands on overall shape and execution, but with a Volvo chassis, Volvo engine, things like that. 
For quite some time, it had been thought that uh, these would be the first Chinese cars to come into the United States. And as such, mm, we haven't really seen any effort from Geely to make that be the case. Uh, in fact, I don't know if we've ever actually seen any Lincoln Co. vehicles at any uh, auto shows here in the U.S. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it won't ever happen, but uh, I think tastes have kind of changed a little bit uh, as things were moving forward. Of course, as money continued to pour into Volvo and demand for their Polestar-engineered uh, vehicles continued to grow, eventually it was decided by Geely and Volvo that they would spin off the Polestar brand into its own separate thing, and that Polestar would become their flagship EV brand uh, in China in Europe, and eventually, hopefully, in the United States. Now, the question, of course, becomes whether Polestar is a Chinese brand or if it is a Swedish brand. I think if you ask most people, it is technically going to be a Swedish brand, even though the cars will be made in China and shipped all over the world. Uh, actually, they might end up getting made in the United States. I might be wrong on that. But Polestar, of course, is taking a lot of Volvo design and engineering and adding some interesting other stuff to it. Really, these are meant to be Tesla competitor vehicles. And again, Geely Money is pumping into this brand and they're saying, do what you need to do and we're going to reap the benefits of it. And as such, we have that next step in the evolution. And that is the new Geely Geometry brand. Uh, the new Geely Geonometry. Oh my God. Words are hard to pronounce. This new brand coming out of Geely is going to focus on affordable EVs in China first, eventually Europe, and then the United States after that, possibly. Uh, they're not really committing to it coming to the U.S., uh, but their main goal is to compete against the Tesla Model 3 before the Tesla Model 3 comes fully to market in China. This new Geometry A model uh, will have a wide variety of trims and battery capacities and so on and so forth uh, available. But the key thing is that the base trim versions of this car before any incentives in China will start under the equivalent of 30 US thousand dollars. Uh, it will still have a lot of pretty decent standard equipment. Uh, it definitely looks the part of being a relatively affordable luxury EV, um, and I believe it will be based on a similar chassis that's underneath the Volvo XC40. It'll be also interesting to know whether or not any of that technology developed for this car in particular will make it into a Volvo for sale here in the U.S. Yes, the Polestar is meant to be the EV shining light, uh, but uh, I think Volvo definitely would have some capacity for a small car to be built here in the U.S. to be sold at a relatively affordable, affordable price, especially when compared to a Tesla. Uh, I think, if I'm remembering correctly from the article, like the low trim model battery is about 52 kilowatt hours. The upper trim battery is about 62 kilowatt hours, and range on these cars is basically going to bounce in between around 200 to just short of 300 mile range, which is, you know, right on par with a Tesla Model 3. Um, not much else is really known about the car other than that they plan on having it, having it on sale by the end of 2019 on into 2020. Um, and they do plan to ex export it around the Southeast Asian market to start, uh, including Singapore and a few other places. So I'm sure they're going to sell quite a few of these vehicles. Geely, of course, also recently acquired uh, Lotus from 
it's a Malaysian car company brand with it. I cannot remember the name of off the top of my head. Proton, I think, was the name of the car company. Um, so major investments are coming to Lotus in the near future, um, which is going to be pretty exciting. I think really, you know, we shouldn't fear the growing influence of the Chinese auto market. And we definitely shouldn't fear the influence of Chinese money uh, flowing into these classic uh, European, American, whatever brands, uh, because, you know, if they've got the money and they want stuff to come out of it, they're definitely going to pay for it. And that is a very good thing. Now, one more last little news subject to kind of talk about, and I guess it's kind of related to this, is that Toyota announced today that they are releasing uh, patents on many of their hybrid system uh, designs and making it open to the automotive community to be able to adapt the same technology into their own vehicles. Uh, Toyota wants to rapidly decrease the overall uh, cost and of development and production of their hybrid synergy drive systems, and they want to increase the amount of hybrid synergy drive systems that are being placed into their own vehicles. And so they think partnering with other brands on these technologies is going to really help them push forward uh, where things need to go, at least in terms of environment and efficiency and so much else. Uh, Toyota, of course, has been historically very conservative when it comes to uh, operating uh, machinery, operating engineering, so much else. Uh, they firmly believe that EVs are still too far out there for regular customers to buy. It's going to be hybrids that need to come first. And with increasing, you know, maybe plug-in hybrid range, uh, eventually people will be ready to make that step to EVs in the not-too-distant future. Uh, that is definitely an indication of why Toyota does not have an EV in their current vehicle lineup. Uh, it is kind of disappointing to me that they haven't figured out that's the way things have to go. Um, but, you know, hey... This is a step in the right direction, and it definitely, I think, gives me hope that some other automakers are going to be willing to share some of their interesting vehicle technologies to help stem the tide of climate change and so much else out in the marketplace. Uh, and it really does, you know, make me wonder why companies like, I don't know, Tesla, Audi, so many others aren't sharing their EV technology uh, with other brands. I know Volkswagen is doing that with their MEB platform. They want to license that technology out to other car companies to be able to build a vehicle on that platform and use their battery technology and their charging technology going forward. Um, so there are going to be some steps forward. So it's good to see Toyota doing that same kind of thing. And I'm definitely excited to see what comes out of these partnerships because I think, you know, I guess thinking of other partnerships they've had, at least when it comes to hybrid technology in the past, uh, that being with uh, Nissan, at least with a hybrid synergy drive powered version of the Altima that was sold from 2007 to 2011. Um, it seems like the Nissan Renault Mitsubishi Alliance would definitely benefit from adding this technology to many of their vehicles in the not too distant future. Um, Really looks like Peugeot's kind of on their own with their kind of thing right now, and that's probably a good thing. GM is probably working on something new. Uh, Ford definitely has their own technology that's been considered a really good rival to that of Toyota's. So that's good. So we'll see. I, I think there are definitely partners for Toyota out there. So updates for that as we go. Anyway, guys. That pretty much wraps up what I want to talk about this week. I don't really have a car that's on my mind. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a long week for news and other things. So while that, guys, we'll wrap it up here in just a moment.
Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast for Friday, April 12th, 2019. Uh, guys, we normally record this show uh, twice a week, usually on Tuesday and on Friday. I've done a really bad job of keeping up with that this week. Uh, things got a little out of control in my life. Uh, it happens. Hey, whatever. Uh, other things we do with this show sometimes does include the Salvage Title Car Buyers Guide. We break down a segment of vehicles, think about what the top three options are, and then a fourth option for flavor. Uh, definitely need to do another one of these soon. I think the compact SUV game definitely deserves yet another look. Uh, you know, we're talking like Honda HRV, Hyundai Kona, things like that. Uh, definitely has some thoughts because there is a vehicle that needs to be included that isn't quite a crossover and not quite an SUV, and you probably know what one I'm talking about there. Uh, in other news, guys, uh, we do release this podcast on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So if you aren't already subscribed, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're on a platform that asks for ratings or likes, please do that. It does help us get seen by more and more people. Um, it's greatly appreciated. And, uh, you know, if you ever think about it, make sure you patronize a sponsor if we have it here on the show. That is also greatly appreciated. Anyway, guys, uh, we've had a lot of back and forth weather here in Michigan over the past two days. Uh, we had like a half inch of snow, and then all of a sudden it's in the 50s again after it being uh, 75 over this past weekend. So hopefully your weather situation is a little more stable. Hopefully your allergies haven't lit up like a Christmas tree quite yet. Um, but it's definitely a good opportunity to step outside and vacuum your car, wipe down your interior, and get things uh, spring ready. So I know I'm hoping to do that later today. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a great weekend and we will see you this coming Tuesday for the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then.